Thank you very much for being here tonight as we've gathered together to worship God. I appreciate your presence. I want to talk to you a little bit about our Savior Jesus and His example for us. Let me ask you, in your personal walk with the Lord, have you ever been a little bit discouraged as a Christian? Have you ever gotten tired with some of the things that folks in our world dish out to us and names they call us and things they say about us and sometimes decide that that maybe it's just time to just keep it all here and just let them be lost if they don't want to listen to us? I know that there are probably times when we might clam up like that, become discouraged no longer want to get out and talk to folks about the gospel. I want you to consider our Savior Jesus in Matthew chapter 9, and notice what happened to him. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus was attacked repeatedly. In Matthew chapter 9 and verse 3, at once some of the scribes said within themselves, this man blasphemes. Jesus is accused of blasphemy. Look at verse 11. When the Pharisees saw it, they said to the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus is accused of not hanging out with the right people. Look in verse 14. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples don't fast? Jesus, you're not holy enough, and neither are your disciples. Verse 24. And said, he said to them, Make room, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. He was accused of folly. Verse 34, But the Pharisees said he cast out demons by the ruler of the demons. Jesus accused of being in league with Satan. Can't you imagine that that might be a little discouraging? As Jesus here is trying to preach the saving message to these people, giving them the very thing they need in order to be able to be with God forever, and all they can do is attack, attack, attack. And yet, notice how Jesus responds, beginning in verse 35. In Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35, Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Despite, despite the fact that folks were against him, despite the fact that people didn't want to listen, despite the fact that they argued and accused, Jesus continued on doing God's will. He continued on teaching. And verses 35 through 38 of Matthew chapter 9 provides an amazing word picture for us that demonstrates his motivation. And I'd like for us to read this passage, Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 38, and I want us to ask three questions. Number one, what did Jesus see? Number two, what did Jesus feel? And number three, what did Jesus do? Read with me, beginning in verse 35 again. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers, into his harvest. Let's begin our look at this passage by asking the question, what did Jesus see? I want you to know 
the individuals that he could have looked at are described by commentators. Harold Fowler in Bible Study Textbook Series, Matthew, Volume 2, page 220, says that Jesus saw the lonely, distressed, sick, poor, common people. He saw suspicious Herodians, hypocritical Pharisees, wealthy Sadducees, monkish Essenes, greedy, grasping publicans, perhaps spies of Herod and informers of Pilate, prostitutes, and other sinners. These were the kinds of individuals that Jesus saw as he looked out at the multitude. But that really doesn't answer the question for us. Because when Jesus looked out at the multitude, that's not what he saw. Notice the text says in verse 36 that he saw them weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. He saw these folks as sheep without a shepherd. They were not like the folks of Psalm 23 where David wrote. They had nobody who could lead them beside the still waters. They had nobody that could restore their soul. They had nobody that could prepare the table for them in the presence of their enemies. They had no one who could lead them through the valley of the shadow of death. They were shepherdless. They were alone. And that's what Jesus saw when He looked at all those people. Sheep without a shepherd. Now, did these people have no shepherds? Well, no, they had folks who were shepherds, who claimed to be shepherds. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the priests, and the scribes. But Jesus described them in John chapter 10. In John chapter 10, beginning at verse 8, John chapter 10 and verse 8, the Scripture said, Jesus, as He preached about being the good shepherd, all who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Yes, there were those who claimed to be shepherds that they were no more than thieves and robbers. They destroyed souls. They did not give life. In fact, Matthew chapter 23 and verse 15, as Jesus directly addressed the scribes and the Pharisees, He pointed out in Matthew chapter 23 and verse 15, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself. These were the false shepherds. They claimed to be shepherds, but they weren't helping anyone. They weren't feeding. They weren't leading. Not to heaven. They were destroying souls. And so when Jesus looked out at the multitudes, he saw sheep that had no shepherd. And as you turn back to Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36, we'll notice that he said that they were weary. Some translations say distressed. Some say harassed. He saw those who were distressed and harassed. The word here in this word picture is very rich with meaning in the original language. My understanding is that it has the idea of a picture of something that is skinned flayed, rent and torn asunder, mangled. Just as a sheep becomes when he has no shepherd. 
sheep who wander away from the fold and who are away from the shepherd had no one to protect them from the wild animals, from the storms, from the dangers that are out in the wilderness and often find themselves distressed, harassed, rent asunder, mangled. When Jesus looked out at the multitudes, He saw the people that were around Him, even the ones that had been accusing Him of so many things. When He looked at them, He saw these sheep without a shepherd and saw how distressed and harassed they were because of their situation. He saw some that were distressed and harassed with the normal things in life. Sickness, finances, taxes, so many things that distressed and harass and cause problems. He saw folks who were poor, probably barely making a living. He saw folks who may have had jobs that were hardships themselves. He saw folks oppressed by a government. He saw folks who were oppressed by false teachers. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. He saw them oppressed by the false teaching that did not free them from their sins, but rather destroyed them. He saw them oppressed by these so-called shepherds who, according to Matthew chapter 23 and verse 4, Matthew 23 and verse 4, for they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. as the Pharisees and the scribes talking. And didn't help them. Just weighed them down more. When Jesus looked at the multitude, He saw them distressed and harassed. And in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36, the New King James says they were weary and scattered. Other translations say downcast. Some say helpless. The imagery here of this term, for those who are familiar with sheep and shepherds, the idea of a cast sheep or a downcast sheep meant something very specific. It referred to a sheep who had wandered away from the fold and had gotten caught up in the thicket or a thorn bush or the bramble. And it just latches onto the wool, and of course the sheep is constantly trying to get away, and it's struggling and moving, and all it succeeds in doing is getting more and more tangled, and it constantly exerting all this energy trying to get out of it until it's finally so utterly exhausted, the only thing it can do is collapse and fall to the ground, and eventually die. And when they talked about a sheep that was downcast, that's what they're looking at. When Jesus looked at the multitude, that's what he saw. These people had no shepherd. They were distressed. They were harassed. And they were downcast. Helpless. Caught in the thicket of life. Unable to break free. Because they had no shepherd to set them free. And that is exactly the way people are. Outside of Christ. They see the hopelessness and the helplessness in everything that's around them. No matter what they do, where is it going to lead? They're going to die and it's all going to be for naught. And folks are constantly fighting against that. 
exerting all kinds of energy, trying to find meaning in life, trying to find some type of happiness and freedom in life, and they can't find it until finally they're utterly exhausted with the attempt and they give up. That's what Jesus saw. No doubt as you consider this image of this sheep without the shepherd, distressed, downcast. The particular individuals were at different places. And yet, that was the inevitable end result for all of them. Because they had no shepherd. When he looked out at the multitudes, he didn't see sinners, publicans, Herodians, Pharisees, Sadducees, he saw sheep without a shepherd, distressed and downcast. And so we ask the question, I think, how did Jesus see us? What did he see? When he looked out at these people, what stirred in his heart and in his soul? Notice again in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36. When he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion. How did Jesus see us? There we go. This thing is going to be more trouble. I'm glad that we're getting a different remote when this thing's installed on Tuesday. That'll be helpful. I apologize for that. He felt compassion. But what does this compassion mean? I want you to look at Luke chapter 7. In Luke chapter 7, we find an example of Jesus' compassion. Luke chapter 7 and verse 13 he went into a city called Nain and saw a funeral procession. A widow mourning the loss of her only son. Her only means of support. There was no welfare. There was no Medicaid. There was no Social Security. Her husband was dead. Her son was dead. She was destitute. And notice what it says in Luke chapter 7 and verse 13. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, Arise! So he who was dead sat up and began to speak, and he presented him to his mother. There is the compassion. Compassion is that emotion, that feeling, that looks out at those who are in need and says, I'm going to do something about that. Compassion is the motivation to help those who are distressed and downcast. And that is what Jesus does. But I want us to also see that compassion is typically something that is undeserved. It's like mercy. If you look in Matthew chapter 18, you remember the parable of the servant who owed his master so much money. And in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 26, the servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. 
Look in Luke 15. Another example. Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son. You remember his story? Asked the father for his inheritance. Left. Squandered it. Came back. And in Luke chapter 15 and verse 20, he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. The father had compassion. Did the son deserve it? No. He didn't deserve it. Compassion is undeserved. When Jesus looked out at the multitude, these were the people who laughed at him, mocked him, ridiculed him, accused him of sin. But when he looked at them, he still had compassion. Just as when he looked at us, he has had compassion. When we didn't deserve it. You see, the problem so often is we as men get caught up in whether or not people deserve compassion. Look at how bad they've treated us. Look at how badly they live. They don't deserve compassion. They don't deserve forgiveness. They don't deserve the gospel. The Pharisees themselves had this problem. If you look back in Matthew chapter 9, one of those times when they were having problems with Jesus in Matthew 9 and verse 11, and they asked, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus heard that, verse 12, Matthew 9, and he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy. Some translations have the word compassion and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. These Pharisees were so caught up in whether or not the people had been living perfectly, they were unwilling to teach them how to be forgiven of their sins. They had no compassion. But as Jesus looked out at them, even at the Pharisees, he saw them as sheep, distressed, downcast, because they had no shepherd. And he felt compassion. And so as we consider what he felt, we look at what that prompted him to do. What did Jesus do? I came up here and played with this. I thought I knew where I had to stand to get it going. The first thing that we'll notice is that he taught the gospel. Verse 35, Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Jesus looked out at the people who had been so rotten to him. He saw them as these sheep without a shepherd. He felt compassion and so he gave them what they needed. He taught them the gospel that would save their souls, that would provide forgiveness of their sins. He was giving them the very thing they needed, even to the ones who didn't want it. He was offering it to them if they would just repent. And of course, ultimately, He was going to provide the sacrifice that would make the teaching meaningful because of His compassion. And notice that it says that he went about healing these sicknesses. Now, some folks misunderstand this passage to mean that we as a church 
are now supposed to be involved in some type of social welfare activity. That our job is to set up hospitals that heal the sick and do all these kind of welfare ideas. But that's not what this is. Do you remember why Jesus performed miracles? It's an amazing concept that sometimes folks miss today, but Jesus didn't perform miracles to heal people. Look in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. In John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, John points out what the signs were for. Truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of His disciples, which are not written in this book. Now notice John 20 and verse 31. But these are written that you may know you ought to build a hospital. Is that what you're saying? No. These are written that you may know the church is a social welfare organization. Is that what you're saying? That's what it says. Why were these signs written? Why were they done? That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. Jesus didn't perform miracles in order to heal people. He performed miracles so that we would know He was the Son of God. It was just a happy byproduct for some that they were healed. And so when Jesus did this healing, it wasn't because He was on some kind of social mission. It was because this was a part of His teaching. The testimony of God through His miracles and signs showing them that He was the Christ, the Son of God. He taught them the gospel of the kingdom that would save their souls. Why? Because He saw them as without a shepherd. And He knew what they needed to help them overcome their distress, to lift them up from being downcast. And He offered it to them, despite how they treated it. But notice the second thing. Not only did he teach the gospel, but notice that he encouraged others to pray. In verse 37, he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Send out laborers. He wanted his disciples to see the same need that he saw. He wanted them to feel what he felt and pray that God would do something about it. Send out laborers. There aren't enough shepherds out there, or should we say under-shepherds, because of course Jesus is the one shepherd. Send out laborers. Send out workers, Lord. We pray that you'll help us bring in this harvest. Bring this harvest in. We need workers. Jesus wanted them to see it. But I want you also to notice that really this is Jesus leading these men on to believe and realize that they needed to be the workers. You remember the principle in James chapter 2? In James chapter 2, verse 15, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed, be filled. But if you don't give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? The principle there is when you see the need and you can fill it, it's not good enough just to pray for it. 
when Jesus told them, pray that the Lord will send out workers, he was wanting them to realize that they could be the answer to that prayer. It's like the fellow that was riding on the subway, sitting down, saw the pregnant woman standing up, and he prayed to the Lord, Lord, please find her a seat. And he realized that he was sitting on the answer to his prayer and got up. We need to realize that we are the answers to this prayer. Lord, send out workers. That's right. Because the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. We need to be workers. I hope you recognize, as we've answered these three questions, what did Jesus see? What did Jesus feel? And what did Jesus do? This lesson wasn't really about Jesus and what He did, but about us and what we ought to do. We ought to do what Jesus did. We ought to teach the Gospel and pray that God will send out workers striving to be the answer to that prayer. But we need to understand that in order to do what Jesus did, we have to see what Jesus saw and feel what Jesus felt. There are all kinds of sermons that we can preach that tell us about our duty to be workers, to go out and teach people the gospel. But until we see the multitudes as sheep, without a shepherd, distressed and downcast, until we feel that compassion because we see them that way, we'll never do anything. We're going to do what Jesus did. We've got to see what He saw and feel what He felt. Brethren, we're around the multitudes every day. We see the same kind of folks that Jesus saw. Self-righteous, self-reliant. We see those people. Wicked and ungodly. We see those people. Those bound up in false religion. We see those people. But as we look at them, what we need to see is sheep without a shepherd, distressed and downcast, and be moved with compassion to do something about it. When you look at the multitudes, what do you see? When you go into Walmart, when you go into the mall, when you go to your bank, when you go to work, when you walk in your neighborhood, what do you see out there? Do you see people that you don't want to be around because they make you uncomfortable? If you do, then you won't feel compassion. Do you see friends that you're afraid to make feel uncomfortable? Then you won't have the compassion. Do you see a pool of people from which you just like to pluck a few to be able to fill up these pews that are empty? If that's what you see. We won't do what Jesus did. But if we look at the people and realize what a miserable situation they are in without the shepherd that can lead them beside the still water, that can restore their souls, that can provide them the meaning and happiness in life, the freedom from their sins that they so desperately need, when you see their souls and their soul's destiny, 
just as Jesus did, then we'll have compassion, no matter how they treat us. And we'll do what he did. And people will be saved. This week, as you go out among the multitudes, people you've seen every day, probably for years, can I encourage you to look at them anew and realize their need for the Good Shepherd and be moved to invite them to meet the Good Shepherd? Doesn't mean you have to set up a Bible study by Sunday. Why not just tell them that they can meet the Good Shepherd here at the Franklin Church next Sunday morning? 10 o'clock. Just let them know. And let them come see what the Good Shepherd can do for them. Will you pull out your songbook, please?